The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. Well, Luke chapter 7 is going to be our text this morning. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. We're going to put the verses on the screen. While you're turning there, uh, let me just remind you, on February the 16th, Story City Church turns four years old. That's amazing. Man, it's so incredible. Not only that, but on, on our fourth birthday, we're going to celebrate like we always do. Every time we celebrate around here, we, we, we do food. And so we've got free food on the 16th. We've got a food truck that's coming. It's going to be great. But also, this year's extra special because on the, our fourth birthday, we're going to start, we're launching a brand new church in Granada Hills. And that is incredibly exciting in the life of our church. And so a lot of good things going on. I'm glad you're here and I'm glad you're a part of it. One thing I want to ask you to do on our fourth birthday is to consider, I'm calling it four on four. I want to ask you seriously, genuinely to invite four people on our fourth birthday. I just want to invite the city of LA into what God is doing in the life of our church. So you can hear more about that in the coming weeks. Let me pray for our time together in the scriptures, and we'll jump right in. God, thank you for today. God, you're so good to us. God, I thank you for what you're doing in the life of our church, Lord. I thank you for uh, the generosity of our people, the compassion of our people, how we care for one another. And so, God, we just want to surrender ourselves to you, Lord, and say, God, whatever you want for our lives, Lord, we offer it to you. And God, as we open up the scripture this morning, I pray the loudest words we hear this morning are the words we read from the pages of scripture. So speak, Jesus, and speak loudly. In Jesus' name we pray, everybody in the Colony Theater said, amen and amen. Well, if you're new here this morning, we're in a series we call Basic Training, and uh, Jesus is early in his ministry here in Luke chapter 7. He's still early on in the life of his ministry, and he's got all of these people following him. He's got apostles, and he's got disciples, and he's got crowds who are following him, and he's really... uh, preaching and telling and demonstrating what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so that's why we called this basic training. And so we find ourselves in Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 11. And I'm going to jump right into the message this morning. And I want to preach a message this morning titled, He's Good to Us and He's Good for Us. Look at your neighbor right now and tell him, God's good to me and He's good for me. Go ahead and tell him right now. I know that makes some of y'all nervous. I know that makes some of y'all nervous. Some of y'all... We just need to get some more spirit in here. Let me just say that. We got to get some more spirit and liveliness in, in church this morning. I was at a place yesterday morning where they had a lot of spirit. I was so encouraged by it. We just need some more of that here. All right, Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 11. This is what the scripture says, and and this is how I like to preach. If you're new here, when we read narratives in scripture, when we read stories, I like to go verse by verse, all right? And that's how we're going to do it this morning. Luke 7, starting in verse 11, the Bible says, and soon afterwards, and if you remember, if you were here last week, Jesus was in Capernaum, and he's healed the servant of a centurion. Soon afterwards... The Bible says, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. And so Jesus has just performed this incredible miracle in the city of Capernaum. And now, after he performs that miracle, the disciples, those who are committed to Jesus, those who are following Jesus, and the Bible also tells us a large crowd, they're now going to make their way 20 miles south of Capernaum to a city called Nain. It would have been an entire day's journey. You can just capture, you can just see the picture of what's going on here. He's got disciples, 
He's got students. He's got learners. He's got people who are committed to him, and they're all following him. And then you got this secondary crowd, this second level of people, this large number of people who are curious. They've seen Jesus do the miracles. They've seen Jesus do the healings, and they're curious, and so they're also following Jesus. They're along for the ride. Now, I want you to hold on to the crowds for a moment, because when we get to the end of the passage, we're going to see them again. Jesus is early on in his ministry, and from now all the way up to Luke chapter 14, verse 25, we're going to see the crowds. They're going to continue to grow in size. We get to Luke chapter 14, the crowds are going to disappear, and we won't see them again until Luke chapter 23, when Jesus is about to be crucified. Verse 12, as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. So you see the scene here. Jesus has walked 20 miles. The crowds are following him. He gets to the city gate, and there's this funeral procession. Apparently, a man has died. And what we know from this time, there was no embalming during this time. And so this man apparently had died that morning. The man had died that morning, and we see this funeral procession. And, and the funeral processions in this day, were they were a big spectacle. You had paid mourners. You actually had women who were paid to come and be a part of the procession. And they would wail, and they would weep. You had people who were playing the cymbals. You had people who were playing the flute. And you had these big crowds. And Jesus meets the funeral procession at the gate of the city. Why? Because people were buried outside of the city. And so the Bible tells us here in verse 12 that the man who died was the son, the only son of his mother. Now listen, if you lost a son in these days, it was the end of the family line. If you lost your only son, Heritage and history are important during this time. When we read the book of Luke, we see Jesus healing only sons and only daughters. We see in Luke chapter 8, verse 42, a man named Jairus has an only daughter, and Jesus raises her from the dead. In Luke chapter 9, verse 38, we see a man who's begging Jesus to come and see his only son who's demon-possessed, and Jesus drives out the demon from the only son. And so an only son and an only boy adds to the sorrow of the scene that we're watching unfold in Luke chapter 7. Not only is he an only son, but his mother is now a widow. She's lost her husband, and now she's on her way to bury her only son beside her husband. When we read the Old Testament, what we understand is the prophets, when they wanted to convey this idea of deep sadness, they would use this idea, this metaphor of deep sadness, and they would use the idea of an only son. It was the greatest tragedy for a family because when the only son died, it meant the end of the family line. Jeremiah chapter 6 verse 26 tells us, mourn as for an only son a lamentation most bitter. Zechariah 12.10 tells us, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. This was one of the most sorrowful experiences in Jewish society. The worst possible loss in the family was the loss of the firstborn son, the only son. Why? The future dies with his death. 
The family line dies with his death. It's a sad scene. It's a sorrowful scene that we're watching unfold in Luke chapter 7. Now, I've done funerals for children of parents, and it's an incredibly, incredibly difficult and sad scene. I've literally watched moms come down to the front and drape themselves over the casket, just trying to hang on for one last minute. I have a friend who's in Portland this weekend. He goes to our church. His wife and kids are here today. He flew up to Portland this weekend to be with a family who lost one of their children. They've lost two children under the age of five here in the last few years. These are difficult moments to watch. Now, the text doesn't tell us this, but I just want to wonder for a moment. I wonder if this woman who's a widow and she's just lost her only son, I I wonder if she's thinking, why has God abandoned me? I wonder if she's thinking that. Or maybe she's given up believing on God altogether. Do you know that suffering is the number one reason why people refuse and reject God? When people go through suffering, When people face difficult times, they wonder and they question, how could an all good God who is all powerful and can do anything he wants to, how could that good God and that powerful God allow bad things to happen? And maybe this widow is thinking the same thing. Maybe she's thinking, how could could a good God allow such a terrible thing to happen to me? I'm alone and I'm needy. And how could God allow it to happen? You know, people who think that way, the truth of the matter is, are right. The truth of the matter is, people who think, how could a good God allow allow bad things to happen? How could he allow? The people who, who think that way are actually right. You know, God could not just allow bad things to happen. That's why he sent his only son, Jesus, who would suffer on our behalf who would go to the cross on our behalf, who would be buried in the grave on our behalf. Why? To end suffering and pain on the cross. Now listen to me. So that death could no longer have the final word. God couldn't just sit back and allow pain and suffering to happen. He did something about it. Now, if you've ever been through suffering, and all of us have, and maybe you're going through it now, you know suffering has this ability to draw draw us inward. It has this ability to make us self-medicated. It has this ability to, to make us isolate ourselves, to drown ourselves in sorrow. But listen to me, church. The reality is God sent a Savior who sits with us in our suffering. God sent a Savior who sits with us in our suffering. I want to tell you this morning, if you're walking through suffering, if you're walking through pain, if you're walking through difficulty, God has an answer. God has a hope, and he gives us a hope. And I want you to see how he gives hope in this situation. Verse 13. Verse 13. This moment... The Bible says, about to tell us in verse 13, this moment hits Jesus hard in the gut. It gut punches Jesus. Look at verse 13. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. 
Now, that's the New International Version of the Bible. That's how it translates this Greek word here. It says, his heart went out to her. You read other versions of the Bible, it says, and he had compassion on her. You read another version of the Bible, and it says, his heart broke when he saw the situation. There's a Greek word here. It's typically translated compassion, and it has to do when we feel something in our gut. You feel it in your gut. It may make the heart beat faster, beat, beat rapidly. It can overwhelm you with emotion. It can stop you in your tracks. The word here implies this physical and emotional pain in the body. Now, what the Bible is narrating here in Luke chapter 7, verse 13, is that when Jesus saw the funeral procession and the mother who's mourning, he felt a gut punch. He felt a gut punch. Now listen to me, church. This is God. This is the God of compassion. And I want to tell you this morning, he's different from all other gods that the world acknowledges. He's different from all of them. Why? Because the gods of the world don't acknowledge a God who's compassionate. They don't acknowledge a God who's kind and forgiving. And listen, he's different from all other gods. You do your research. There are no gods of love and compassion in the world. There are gods who will take your hand and lop it off for stealing. But there are not gods who are compassionate and loving. And this is the God of the Bible. Now, let me tell you something this morning. And this is going to be difficult for some of us, but you just need to process it as you read the passage itself. This passage is not about faith. Remember last week, if you happen to be here, we read the story of the centurion. The Bible described him as, having, as a man having great faith. This passage, this story is not about great faith. This story is also not about salvation. This passage, this story is not about redemption. This story is not about forgiveness. What is this passage about? This may be difficult for some of you, but you need to process it. This story is about sympathy and compassion that Jesus has for human sadness. That's what this story is about. And that's difficult for some of you because some brands of Christianity have this picture of God who's angry and vengeful and wrathful and looking to squash us at every turn. When you read this story, this story is about a God who's compassionate and has a gut punch when humanity experiences sadness. This isn't the only time we see Jesus demonstrating compassion. We see it over and over in the scriptures. It's God's nature to feel compassion. In John chapter 11, verse 33, you know the story if you've been around church. Jesus sees Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, and they're weeping and they're mourning over the death of their brother. And in that passage in John 11, we see Jesus and the Father. We see how they feel over affliction and grief when his children experience those things. In Judges 10, 16, the Bible says, then they got rid of the foreign gods among them and served the Lord. Now listen to what it says. And God could bear Israel's misery no longer. God felt Israel's misery. Listen, when God's people are miserable, 
God is miserable. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22. This is my life verse, by the way. Lamentations 3, 22. The Bible says, the Lord's loving kindness indeed never ceases. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. In other words, the Bible tells us God is compassionate all the time. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. This is one of the verses that God used to call me to ministry. Matthew 9, 36. When Jesus saw the multitude, he felt compassion on them. Mark 1, 21. Jesus meets a leper, and he has compassion on him, and he heals him. Mark chapter 8, verse 2. Jesus said, I feel compassion for the multitude. Why did Jesus feel compassion in Mark chapter 8? Well, if you know the story, these people have been with Jesus for three straight days, and they didn't have anything to eat. It wasn't a spiritual issue that Jesus felt compassion over. He felt compassion and pain because they were hungry. This is who God is. This is his nature. God cares. We see divine compassion when we see Jesus. And so we see Jesus. He's fully man. He's fully God, yet God, yet Jesus experienced the same feelings, the same affections that we have experienced. The Bible says he's a sympathetic and he's a merciful high priest. So here in Luke chapter 7, we see Jesus' heart is broken. His heart is broken over this widow who's experiencing sadness and sorrow in Luke chapter 7. His heart's broken because hope's been lost. His heart is broken to see someone's world devastated. Listen, he cares about your suffering. He cares about your sorrow. He cares about your pain. He cares about your happiness. Church, listen, if you're If you're in the midst of one of these seasons of life and you're experiencing suffering and you're wondering, does God care? Does God know? Please hear me this morning. Jesus cares for you. His compassion is unrivaled for you. Listen to me. He knows what it's like to experience heartache. The Bible says he was rejected by men. He knows what it's like to be rejected. He knows what it's like to feel alone. He knows what it's like to suffer in his body. And church, he's got great compassion for you. Maybe this morning you're not a person who's walking through one of those seasons. Maybe you're you're in a season where life is good. Can I just say to you, sometimes in church we can make it feel as if we're not walking through a difficult season, then then we're the bad guy. Now, if you're walking through a great season in life, let me tell you, don't feel feel any any pain over that season. That's a season God has you. But maybe you're not walking through a season of suffering and pain this morning. Can I ask you this morning, if that's your situation, what about our compassion towards others? What about how we approach others? What about people who are hurting in our world? What about people who are walking through a difficult season within our sphere of influence? Can I ask you, have you been provoked in your guts to move out with your hands and your feet in compassion? I hesitated to tell this, but I just want to do it because I'm not going to say any names. But somebody in our church called us this week, and they had been provoked in their gut because there was a family in our church in need, and they moved out in extraordinary compassion and extraordinary generosity and gave a very generous gift. Why? They felt it in their guts. They had compassion. Can I say to you, church, 
We should never walk through struggle and pain alone. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3 and 5, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort comforts us in our affliction. Why? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort. There's a lot of comfort here. There's a lot of comfort in the body of Christ with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in our comfort too. We should never go through difficulty alone. I, I just want to commend our church today. If you're, if you're a co <clears throat> committed part of Story City Church, I just want to say you are a very generous people. I see it often. You are very compassionate people. And I hope our church is always known for being a compassionate and generous people who run to suffering and run to hurting every, almost every Sunday morning. One of our faithful people in our church, she's always got an update on somebody she's caring for and ministering to and what she's doing in that person's life. Can I ask you this morning, maybe you're not going through a season of suffering and difficulty, but what about your compassion for someone? else. Do you know someone who's going through a difficult time? Why don't you text them today? Why don't you take them a meal today? Why, why, why don't you just reach out? Maybe you've seen somebody on social media who's going through a difficult time. Why don't you just, don't even hesitate, reach out, show compassion today, pick up the phone, call someone, text someone. Let's be a compassionate people. Why? That's who Jesus was. That's who Jesus is. He's God in the flesh. He's always tender-hearted towards his people. Now watch how he responds here. Verse 14. Then he went up and he touched the coffin. Likely this man was not in a coffin. That word's probably not translated correctly. Likely he's on a stretcher. Only very rich people would have been buried in a coffin. Then he went up and he touched the coffin. They were carrying him on. And the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. <laughs> Jesus' compassion moves him to action here. And he looks at the young man and he says, young man, I say to you, arise. So Jesus speaks and life surges back into this man's body. Do you know that's what he did with Jairus' daughter in Luke chapter 8? That's the same thing he did in John chapter 11 with Lazarus. Jesus spoke with his voice and death came back to life. The Bible says in Psalm 33, 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. That's the power of our God. Now, can I just draw your attention to one fact this morning? I want you to notice here in verse 14, that nobody asked Jesus to do the healing. Did you see that? Nobody asked Jesus to do the healing. This is a very different story than the story we taught last week in verse 1 through 11. Remember the centurion? He reaches out to the elders and he says, would you go to Jesus and ask Jesus to come and heal my servant? And then as Jesus comes, he, he tells his friends, go out to Jesus and tell him, Jesus, you don't even need to come. If you would just speak with your voice, you can heal my servant. This is a very different story. Nobody asked Jesus to do the healing. The centurion made a request of Jesus. The widow says nothing. She makes no requests. 
Jesus never meets the centurion in the passage we saw last week, but Jesus here meets the widow face to face. He sees her sorrow. Last week, we saw the centurion demonstrate great faith. In this passage, we don't even see the word faith mentioned. It's not even implied here. The woman is so overcome with grief, we don't even see her say a single word in this story. You know, Jesus could have simply encouraged this woman with his voice. He could have just simply brought encouragement to this woman's life. But out of the depths of Jesus' mercy, Jesus performs a great miracle. It was a miracle that was done without any human requesting it. It was a miracle that Jesus did without thinking, what lesson am I going to teach the disciples here? Jesus performs this miracle here without any thought of, you know what, I need to demonstrate my deity so all of these people around me can see who I am. The difference is this miracle was drawn out of the well of God's compassion. You know, the great faith of the centurion, it really inspires us. When we read the passage in the centurion last week, we, we, we saw all of the, the verses throughout the book of Luke where, where Luke, uh, where Jesus commends great faith and he rebukes weak faith. Th- that strong faith inspires us. But can I tell you what this does? The widow's story gives us hope. Why? Jesus cares for us even in our weakest moments. Jesus cares for us even in our weakest moments. And there are moments in your life when great faith is elusive. You're not like the centurion where you know that God can do and God will. Sometimes in life, great faith is elusive. It's easy to envy the centurion's faith. But maybe this morning, many of you are like the widow. You're like, God, I just don't have enough faith right now. I'm so overcome with grief. I don't even know what to say Inside, we just wonder, God, do you even hear my prayers? Because you know I don't have faith in this moment. God, do you even see my tears that I'm crying? Because you know I don't have the faith to believe in you in this moment. That's the lie, can I say, by the way, as a side note, of supposed faith healers. Now, I may step on some toes here this morning, but you need to allow the Bible to do it. This is the lie of faith healers. They'll tell you, come to my church, give me a tithe, and I'll heal you. And if I can't heal you, it's not my fault. It's your fault because you lack faith. Can I tell you something this morning? Jesus is not impotent and your faith makes him omnipotent. That's not who God is. Jesus can come to us this morning. I believe Jesus can come to us this morning and he heals here even when no request is made and great faith is not demonstrated. Why would Luke put this in the Bible? Well, Jesus commends faith over and over and over. Why would Luke even write about this story where we don't even see faith? I I believe Luke puts this story here in the Bible, this miracle of this widow whose son has died and her husband has died. I believe Luke wrote that story this morning for those of us who are experiencing weak faith and wondering, does God even care? God, do you hear me? Do you know me? Do you even care This morning, the answer is yes. God cares. God knows. And even when we don't have the faith to realize it, his tears match our tears. This is a sovereign God we're reading about here in Luke chapter 7. And what he's just done is not done to display his power. Jesus is motivated by compassion. 
He cares deeply about people's suffering. This is going to be hard for some of you to digest because some of you think Jesus always has an ulterior motive. But Jesus' motive in this passage is to perform something out of his deep compassion for someone who's suffering. So if your faith is wavering this morning, can I encourage you? Don't draw away from God. Don't, 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 don't lean away from God, but lean into the God who cared enough to spare a miracle for a woman who was walking through suffering. Verse 15, the Bible says, the dead man, look what happens. The dead man sat up and he began to talk and Jesus gave him back to his mother. What an incredible scene here. Some of you have difficulty believing in the miracles of the Bible, but I'm telling you what happened was amazing. The dead man is alive, and he sits up and he starts speaking. He doesn't need speech therapy. He doesn't need to be reoriented as to what's going on. He simply sits up, and he starts speaking, and the verse tells us, and Jesus gave him back to his mother, and that was it. That was the point. That's why he did it. You know, when you read this story here, Jesus just doesn't look at the dead man and say, you know what, I don't know if you noticed, all of these disciples who are following me, they've been walking with me for 20 miles now. There's a second layer of the crowd behind them. Now that you're healed, I need you to get in line and follow me. He doesn't say that here. Jesus doesn't say to the man, you know what, you got an incredible testimony now. It's really going to influence a lot of people. I need you to make a circuit and share your testimony with the whole world. He doesn't say that here. He doesn't say to the man, you know what, your story is very compelling. I need you to write a book so that this can go all over the world. Listen, Jesus simply says, your mother needs you, and that's why he did it. That's hard for some of you this morning to believe that Jesus can act out of the purity of his compassion. We don't suppose that Jesus stuck around and just answered a bunch of questions from the mother and son. Maybe he did. Also, we don't suppose, and this is also going to hit some of you hard, that Jesus stuck around and preached the, uh, the, the gospel of salvation and the kingdom is coming. He may have, but we don't have record of that. His disciples may have, but we don't have record of that. They may have followed Jesus, but we don't know that. What we do know is that Jesus took a gut punch. He saw a brokenhearted mother and it broke his heart. And Jesus said, you need your son again. Here he is. And that's why he did it. And so a funeral turns into a party and a funeral turns into a party. Listen, church, listen to me this morning. God knows. God cares. God understands what you're walking through. He is the God of all comfort. He's the God of all compassion. Now, let's finish out the passage, verse 16. And they were filled with awe. They were all filled with awe, and they praised God. Who is all? Well, all is the entire scene. All is the crowds. Remember we talked about the crowds in verse 11 and 12? And they were all filled with awe, and they praised God. And listen to what they said. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to his people. Now, God had been silent for 400 years, but when they saw the power of God, they knew the presence of God. Verse 17, this news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. There's this holy terror that, that comes over the crowd. They know God's in their presence. They know that God 
has shown up. They saw the power of God. They knew this was God. And, and, and the message of what happened spreads everywhere. Now, what's sad about this is that these same people, these same crowds would soon forget the presence of God. Now, bear with me because we're going to draw this to a close. What's sad is that these same crowds would soon forget the presence of God in their midst very soon. They said, God's visited us. God's visited us, but they didn't understand what was happening. How do we know? Because in verse 16, they described who had visited them. They said, a great prophet has arisen among us. Now, let me tell you something. There are other religions that call Jesus a great prophet, but Jesus is not a great prophet. Jesus is God himself. And so these crowds, they're soon going to forget they're soon going to forget the presence of God in their life. How do we know that? Because pretty soon, these same crowds are going to crucify Jesus. Now, it's obvious by the growing size of the crowds that we see all the way up until Luke chapter 14. It's obvious, listen to me, that they loved that Jesus was good to them. They loved the miracles. They loved the healings. They loved that Jesus was good to them. But church, listen, they had not yet grasped that Jesus was also good for them. The crowds would eventually dwindle. They would eventually dissipate. The crowds are eventually going to disappear. Luke chapter 14, we don't see them again until we get to Luke chapter 23, verse 18. And the crowds have had enough of Jesus. How do we know? Because verse 18 of Luke 23 says, but the whole crowd shouted, away with this man. Church, how often is that our experience with Jesus? We love the Jesus. We love the Jesus. We invite the Jesus who is good to us. We invite him into our home. We invite him into the intimate places of need in our life. I want the Jesus who is good to me when I have a need. We see this so frequently. I see it so frequently in, in, in the lives of people who are not religious, who don't go to church, who would never talk about Jesus, but as soon as there is a need in their life, they love the Jesus who is good to them, but they neglect the Jesus who is good for them when they're satisfied. Now, I want you to write this down because I think this is going to change your life. When we understand that not only is God good to us, but he's good for us, listen to me, that's when we're going to desire the presence of God more. When we understand that God is not only good to us, but he's also good for us, it's in that moment that we'll begin to desire the presence of God more. Church, can I ask you, isn't God good to us? God is good. All the time. God is good. All the time. God is good to us, isn't he? Listen to me, church. He's not just good to us, but he's also good for us. He's not just good to us, but he's also good for us. You know, culture loves the God who is good to us, but so frequently the culture will neglect the God that is good for us. We see it here in this passage. 
We see it throughout the course of Scripture that God is good to his people. Psalm 145 verse 9 tells us that uh, it reminds us of the just and the good acts of God. The Bible says in Psalm 145 9, the Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. The book of James describes God as a father who cares for us and meets all of our needs and gives us good gifts. James chapter one says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. But God doesn't just do good. God just doesn't do good. Listen, the Bible teaches us that he himself is good. The Bible says he himself satisfies us. See, what will happen is we read this passage and we love that God is good to us. God, where's my miracle? God, where's my healing? God, where's my intervention? We love the God who is good to us. And now, don't get me wrong. We should love the God who's good to us. But church, that miracle may never come. That intervention may not come how you want it to. It's in those moments that you can still love God, not just because he's been good to you, but because he is good for you. You see this so frequently, so frequently. Cultural Christianity says God is good to us. Biblical Christianity says not only is God good to us, but God is good for us. Cultural Christianity says, seek God's goods. Biblical Christianity says, seek the goodness of God. Christianity, cultural Christianity says, God does good things for us, but biblical Christianity says, God himself is good for us. Can I just say to you this morning, maybe the most powerful message in your life, for every day, for today and tomorrow, Next Friday, maybe the most powerful message for your life is that God is not simply good to you. He doesn't just simply do good things, but God himself is good. And we see the evidence of God's goodness in Jesus. And this can profoundly change the presence of God in your life. It can profoundly change you when you understand that God is good for you. And you begin to nurture, you begin to cultivate his presence in your life. And when you begin to cultivate his presence in your life, then you begin to read his word. And you don't just read his word for information. You know why you read his word now? You read his word because you want to know God. And when you begin to know God and you begin to cultivate his presence, look, then you begin to cultivate this fruit of these spiritual disciplines and these habits and the affections in your life are drawn to Jesus. If you understand that God is good for you, then you can begin to see how Everything in your life, all of your affections, all of your longings, all of your desires, everything that happens, all of your life can be satisfied in Christ alone. The greatest hope for a believer 
It's not that God does good things for us, but listen. But one day God will be with us. The greatest hope is not that God will do good things for us. He does. But that one day God will be with us. This is the scene from the last two pages of Scripture. The last two pages of Scripture describe this for us. Revelation 21, verse 3. And behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. For the believer, our reality is that one day we will be in the presence of our God. And he will be our greatest satisfaction. God is a compassionate God. Not just because he's good to us, but because he's good for us. And when you realize that, you can read passages like this where we see God's goodness to people and not have to be ripe with envy and jealousy that God hasn't done that to you because you still know he's good for you. He's good for you. How do you respond to the compassion of Jesus towards you? How do you respond to him this morning? Maybe you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus. The compassion of Jesus was so strong and so evident and so powerful that the thing that he did for you was that he went to the cross and he took your sins on the cross for you. It's the greatest thing he could ever do for you. And the Bible says that if we would believe in our hearts, confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe what God did on the cross for us, the Bible says not that we can be, ought to be, might be, but that we will be saved. Have you ever been saved? I want to invite you to that this morning. Down front, to my right, your left, Marco, one of our staff members is there. We'd love to help you walk into a relationship with Jesus this morning. Trust your life to him to be saved, to respond to the compassionate love of Jesus. What do I need to do? All you need to do is go see Marco down front. Marco, I want to know more about trusting my life to Jesus. Now, can I close speaking to our believers and we'll be done. Are you in a season of suffering and pain this morning? God's good for you. And your season of suffering and pain may never pass. But God's good for you. He's good for you. And it'll change your perspective on what you're walking through. And I want to ask you if that's you this morning. Maybe you just need some time alone with the Lord. And acknowledge your pain and your suffering. He knows it. He sees it. He cares. He's there. Your tears are matched only by his tears. But maybe he needs to remind you this morning that he is good for you. Let's pray together. God, we love you. God, I'm confident there are people all over the auditorium this morning who are wondering when you're going to be good to them. God, I pray by the spirit of the living God, that you would remind them that you are also good for them. The season may pass or it may not. 
But God, may the Spirit of God help them to cultivate your presence, cultivate that intimacy with you, to be reminded that you're walking with them through this season. God, for those who are not walking through that season, may you, by the Spirit of the living God, give them compassion for those around them. God, I thank you for the living example in our church this week. I'm inspired by it, God. May we continue to be and always be a people of compassion. God, you're good to us, but you're also good for us. In Jesus' name.